Today, I want to speak to a select bunch of people. Now, though I may be singling you out, I'm definitely not going to call you out. I'm not going to make you raise your hand. I'm not going to make you give me a head nod. I just want you to know who you are. I want to talk to the people today who came as guests, people who normally don't go to church, people who normally don't go to any church. And maybe you don't go because you've been hurt by Christians. Maybe you were harshly judged or, or they were mean to you. Maybe, maybe they put expectations on you that they wouldn't even keep for themselves and you were just completely turned off by them. Maybe you don't normally go to church because you've been hurt by church leaders, maybe a pastor, priest, or someone who was in charge of some ministry, or somebody who served on a church board. Maybe you don't go because you've seen those televangelists on TV, right? And, and you just think how, how arrogant or even how foolish they look, which sometimes I tend to agree. And, and they, seem, they seem fake, and all they want is your money. We had a call here from a ministry that was willing to sell us holy oil for $29.95 in case we didn't have any for Easter Sunday. And all we had to do was contact them and they would make sure that they would rush it to us so we would have it for Sunday. Maybe you don't normally go to church because organized religion just, it, it just turns you off. It seems that the organized religious or the churches, they, they always stand against everything and no one really knows what they stand for. And there seems to be just a bunch of rules that you have to follow that nobody actually seems to be following. And you just find that tough to get your mind around. Maybe you don't go to church because it seems that to be Christian means that you have to vote Republican. Or maybe for you, the church says it follows Jesus, but it doesn't seem to do anything that Jesus actually did. Maybe for you, church and faith is just another way of separating people into different camps, into different positions, kind of us versus them. And isn't there enough of that going around in the world today? Maybe one of these reasons has resonated with you. Maybe, maybe they all resonate with you. And you've stepped away from Christians, you've stepped away from Jesus, and you've definitely stepped away from church. Carlo Coretto writes in his book, The God Who Comes, he, he writes this, How baffling you are, O church, and yet how I love you. How you have made me suffer, and yet how much I owe you. I should like to see you destroyed, and yet I need your presence. You have given me so much scandal, and yet you have made me understand sanctity. I've seen nothing in the world more devoted to obscurity, more compromised, more false, and I have touched nothing more pure, more generous, and more beautiful. How often have I wanted to shut the doors of my soul in your face, and how often I have prayed to die in the safety of your arms. No, I cannot free myself from you, because I am you, and where should I go? Carlos seems to have this love-hate relationship going on with the church. He was a lay leader in his church, in his parish, for over 20 years. And he was part of a ministry that encouraged Catholics to live out their faith. But then in 1954, he joined the Little Brothers of Jesus, which is a desert group of contemplatives. And he lived in the Saharan Desert in Algeria for 10 years. And he wrote some amazing stuff. 
But in this one quote, you can hear the hurt and the anxiety that church caused him. Yet within that, he acknowledges that not only did he need the church, that he desired it. And then coming to this epiphany, that he is the church and all of its ugliness and all of its beauty. I believe that many church-going Christians have felt this way at one time or another. And, and I'm going to be honest. And I know that we, we joke around here that we really don't like honesty in church, but we're going to try it anyway. I have to be honest with you. And if you didn't already know, I'm a pastor. There have been many ups and downs in my relationship with the church. And I can appreciate his openness and honesty. And I've echoed his sentiment. But as he came to understand, so have I. I am both the ugliness and the beauty of the church because I am the church. You know, some of you this morning, you may have gotten talked into coming to church. It's Easter, right? Let's just keep it real. And maybe it was just easier to say yes and to suffer the consequences. Maybe, maybe some of you were guilted into coming like threats, or maybe, you know, the, the sad face, or the boo-boo lip, or, you know, it's the worst kind of guilt is mom guilt. I mean, that's the worst. Maybe, maybe some of you felt like you had to come, or you should come. It's Easter, right? You have to show up at least once or twice a year. But here's what I believe. You are not here because of guilt or persuasion or threats. You're not here because you just thought about in your own mind that you should be here. Now, I don't want to freak anyone out, and you can disagree with me if you want. Here at Oasis, we allow people to hold the wrong opinions, at least for a while. But I believe that you're here not because you were guilted into being here, or you should be, or you thought you should be here. I believe you are here because God wants you to be here. Come on, you know you have said no to a lot less than church. I believe God is calling you. He's wooing you. And no matter the reason why you don't go to church, you are here because there is a part of you that still holds, holds on to some hope. There's a part of you that hopes that God is bigger than the pain or the hurt, the brokenness that you've experienced. There's part of you that hopes God will come through in your doubt and in your confusion. There's a part of you that hopes that the Bible really is true, that Jesus really is true. Maybe there's a part of you that, that, that just holds on to the hope that the preacher is finally going to make some kind of sense today. See, there's a part of you, a small part of you, that may just be holding on to God. And if you've fallen into this category, then it's you that I am speaking to today. Now, everyone else, you can stay, you can listen, you just got to keep quiet. So this is our Easter celebration when we celebrate Jesus, the Son of God who came to earth. And he came to be with us. He came to teach us, to show us, and to point us to his Father, our Father, point us to God. And so he lives with us on this earth, and then he goes to the cross and he's killed to pay for our sins so that we can be forgiven. But that's not the end of the story because the story goes on that on the third day, he rises from the dead by the power of God. And that is the first Easter morning. We can read it in the Gospels in the Bible. 
Now understand that the Bible, the entire thing, points to Jesus. All of the Old Testament points to Jesus. He is and has always been God's way of fixing everything to bring the world back to the way it should be. And then we have the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they tell his story. And the rest of the New Testament is full of writings and letters, and and it's all Jesus stuff. And it's explaining, proclaiming, it's all referring and pointing to him. Easter is not just about going to church. It's not just about dinner. It's not, it's not about Easter eggs and Easter egg hunts and bunnies that lay eggs, though those are part of our, our cultural celebration. And I believe church is an important part of our spiritual celebration. But Easter is about Jesus and Jesus alone. I want to take a look at a few verses this morning in the Bible. It's this guy, Paul, and he's writing to this church um, in the in the city of Colossae, who are these? There's just a bunch of Jesus followers trying to figure this thing out, trying to figure this whole journey of faith out. And what he wants to do is he wants to lay down some foundational stuff. It would seem that this church, that in this church, some people were teaching things and acting in ways that didn't match the teachings or the life of Jesus. Some scholars would say that some of the people in the church became kind of snobbish, even got into these little cliques, and they acted like they, they, they were better than everyone else, and started to tell people what they should think, what to believe, how they should behave. You know, I guess some things in churches never really change. And so this guy, Paul, writes them a letter. And here are a few lines in the letter. Colossians chapter 1, I'm going to start reading in verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Jesus is the head, the leader commander-in-chief of the church. I remember back in 2004 when I was hired for my first pastor's job, my daughter Megan, who then was eight, she said to me, now you own the church? Which is kind of funny because, yeah, not so much. Jesus is owner, operator, leader. The church is way more than walls and chairs and sound equipment and screens. I would say that no building is any church. Church is people, people on a faith journey following Christ. So we, the church, are under the headship, the leadership of Jesus. And we get into trouble when we forget who is in control, who is in charge. When we humans actually believe we're in control, and then we try to execute control over the church, things begin to go bad. And history has proven that time and time again. It is Christ and Christ alone. And he's the source of any and all health and direction and unity within the body of believers. He is the source of our direction. He is the source of our life. He is what sustains us. It's not about us. It's all about him, what he has done and what he is doing. So Jesus, Jesus is the man. And Paul writes that he is the beginning. And it has this meaning that 
that he always was, he always is. John would tell us that in the beginning, our beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he's talking about Jesus. Jesus has always been. He was not created. He wasn't born. He has always existed, and he always will. He is the beginning. And he is the first to rise from the dead. He conquered death, vanquished, overcame, both in the physical and the spiritual. It's what we celebrate, the resurrection, Easter. Because of that, he reigns supreme, not only over the church, but over all of creation, everything. This is where I might get a little politically incorrect. Okay, ready? It doesn't matter what you believe. Jesus is supreme over everything. Jesus knows every letter and every word written on every page in every book that has ever been written or will ever be written. And that is only scratching the surface of his supremacy. And God was pleased to dwell within Jesus. That means that everything that is God, everything completely is fully in Christ. If you want to understand who God is, As much as humanly possible, look to Jesus, who he is, how he lived, what he taught, because the fullness of God is in the Son. And so our search for fullness in this life can only be found looking at Christ. Jesus is where all that can be known and experienced of God can be found. And then look what it says again in verse 20. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Okay. We still live in the brokenness of the world. I mean, it's, it's, it's all around us. Just watch a few minutes of the news on TV and it becomes evidence. The world is a broken place. We have lost our way. We are no longer as humanity in a right relationship with God. This is not how God has intended it to be. We, us, people, all of creation, we need to be reconciled back to our creator, back to God. And the only way that happens is through Jesus. Everything finds its proper place in him because of him. And everything that's broken, people and relationships and our emotional and spiritual and intellectual states will be made right and whole because of Jesus and his death and through his resurrection. He died on the cross, spilled his blood, and rose from the dead so that we would and could have peace with God. Peace is the Hebrew idea of shalom, and it's about being complete, complete and whole and content and joyful and reconciled. When we respond to Jesus, the good news that Jesus Christ came, died, and rose again for the forgiveness of our sins, this peace, shalom, is ours, and it's a peace that goes beyond any human understanding. We just, we just can't get a complete grasp of it. But it is a peace that includes our relationship to God. 
It's a peace that includes our relationship to other people, family and friends and brothers and sisters in the faith, faith, human to human relationships. And it's a peace that, that makes its way into our relationship with all of creation. Maybe we can say that God has gone green. Through Christ, God has brought his entire rebellious creation back under the rule of his supreme power. But that peace has yet to be fully established. And so we live in this tension of already and not yet. We can experience the peace of God through Jesus, but not in its, not in its fullness. It's not yet complete. That will come once and for all when Jesus returns to this earth and he will return and establishes his kingdom. It's what the Bible talks about when, when in Revelations when it all comes to completion. And so we live in the already and we live in the not yet. But we have hope. Because his death on the cross was not the end of the story. Life is the story. Resurrection is the story. He has risen. That's the story. And in that moment, joy replaced despair. Life conquered death. Easter, we celebrate Christ and what that first Easter morning meant to the world because it changed everything. And we celebrate what it means for us every day since then. It means renewal and forgiveness and peace and reconciliation with God to all who would put their faith in Christ. It is about the right now, and the hope of the future when it all gets made right. And it's because of that hope. It's because I put and choose to put my confidence in that hope. The hope that Christ will return, and he will, I believe it. The hope that, that he will make all things new. And it's because of that hope that I can stand before all of you. And I stand here speaking directly to those people who don't engage in church, who don't engage in faith or Jesus because of the reasons that we talked about earlier on. Maybe it's because of Christians. And I stand here speaking to those people who have walked away from the church or faith or Jesus because of Christians. On behalf of the church, a group of broken Jesus followers, I want to say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you've been hurt by people who say that they love Jesus but show no love. I'm sorry that you may have been judged harshly, without any grace, with expectations and standards that those judging you don't even keep for themselves. I'm sorry that you may have been, you may have been hurt by a pastor or a priest or some ministry leader who lacked the humility and the love of Jesus. I'm sorry for the church not being more vocal for the things we stand for and seem to be always concentrating on what we're against. I'm sorry that at times the church is out of touch with people who, who don't attend and we've made you feel unwelcomed. Unwelcomed in the language we use, in the conversations we've had or we have, in our desire to fix you because you're obviously broken. I'm sorry that the Christian culture may have led you to believe that you have to be a Republican to be Christian. Just so you know, I believe Jesus remains unaffiliated. And he, I don't believe he has ever voted in any election. You don't vote when you're the king. 
I'm sorry that the church has all too often made it about us versus them or me versus you. I'm sorry that churches who profess Christ as Lord have allowed stupid things to divide us and have not focused on Jesus and Jesus alone to unite us. I'm sorry for protesters and picketers and hatred spewed in the name of God because those things don't reflect the heart of God. I'm sorry that we have made some sin much worse than others. That is not what the Bible teaches. The church will remain an imperfect community of imperfect people gathered in the name of Jesus. And in our imperfection, it's the exact reason why we need Christ. But please don't confuse the imperfection of people who call themselves Christian with the perfection that is Jesus Christ. Don't confuse church and Jesus and walk away from them both. Know that Jesus loves you in all of your imperfections, all of your brokenness, just as he loves the church and all of its imperfections and its brokenness. He died for us all and rose again that we may have peace with God and everlasting life. Whether you believe it or not, Jesus did die for you and then rose to conquer death once and for all. See, it's not by persuasion or chance that you're here. I believe that the resurrection of Jesus wants to invade your heart and soul and bring you healing. The resurrection of Jesus wants to invade your heart and soul and restore to you hope, grace, and mercy so that you can stand before God forgiven. That you could come into a community of faith and understand that we are all broken, still broken, and that all of us are in the process of healing. That we need the love of God to be continually poured out to us. That we need each other for this journey of faith and this journey of life. Our faith is deeply personal, but it was never meant to be lived by ourselves. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, God is calling you back to himself. Just as a father would call a son or a daughter home to love them, to be with them, to bless them. See, God loves the world so much that he gave us Jesus.